Welcome to the See My Grief podcast, a Conversations with Kelly production. I'm your host, Kelly Grosslogs, and I want to welcome you to this community where my intention is for those that listen can experience healing, safety, hope, and possibility. This is a space where all grief matters. I want you to feel seen and heard and embraced. To all of you, welcome. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the See My Grief podcast. I am Kelly Grosslugs, your podcast host, and I am so excited about today's episode. Having my sweet dear friend, Doug Jensen, on, who I met, oh my goodness, probably many, many years ago, many years ago in graduate school. Decades, Kelly. Uh, Decades. I know, Doug. Decades. And we have, I had an instant connection, let me put it that way, to Doug when he came in to speak to one of our classes. And we have remained very good friends. Doug has a practice here in the Twin Cities, and I am bringing him on today as a huge honor. A little side note, though, Doug and I are recording at 10 after 12, and we were supposed to record at 10 o'clock. So we have had a little bit of a backstory here, having a beautiful conversation prior to. It's been so great to catch up. I'm also realizing the more we catch up, Doug, the more we have to catch up on. I agree. So I want to welcome you, and I'd like you to kind of introduce yourself. You are a new podcast co-host, but tell us a little bit about who you are, Doug, and welcome. Kelly, really, thank you so much for having me today, and really, the honor is mine. I am so delighted with the fact that after all of these years, you and I remain very connected, and again, we can just pick up where we left off. And again, I agree with you that everything we talk about has so much expansion we could have which we will continue over those lovely drinks at that place that we went to. That's right. So I've been in practice now, and it's, it's really interesting to look back, right? I even think about grief as a concept, and you and I both took a grief course in graduate school in preparation for our clinical practice, and it was life-changing for both of us. It so resonated with us, and I have focused my practice on a number of different issues. You know, the podcast, We're Not Fine, that I do with my co-host, beautiful and talented and smart Talia Jackson, It's based on relationships because relationship work is a great deal of what I do in my private practice, but I have also specialized in kind of trauma and grief surrounding people living and affected by HIV and AIDS. When we were in graduate school, we had a foundation practicum we needed to do, and I contacted the Minnesota AIDS Project to ask if they could develop something for me because nothing was there. And I had just an incredible privilege of getting to know people and getting to know about that disease and getting to know about the social stigma and talk about disenfranchised grief. I mean, the level of social and physical and sexual and emotional losses that everyone and financial, there were so many losses that were so compounded for people at that time, continue to be as I continue to work with longer term survivors. But it has been really a focus. And it's really interesting. I also would say, Kelly, just on a very personal level, you know, you and I have been talking about my mother recently dying, which is a very complicated relationship for me. But as we grow older, our losses and our own personal experiences really get complicated and and overwhelming. They sure do. Because we just have more and more. I mean, even if it's a celebrity like Cindy Williams from Laverne and Shirley dying, I'm like, you know, I remember being so affected by that. That was a 
we had a black and white TV growing up. We did not have a lot of money. And so I remember, you know, Shlomil Shamazel, whatever that song was. And so a big loss, but you know, these people who have been in our lives and, and I'm so grateful to be alive at this duration in my life, but yeah, grief is everywhere, but that is a big part of my practice still. I work a lot with trauma, work a lot with relationships. And as you said, I just recently started a podcast and it's really interesting because every relationship has so many dimensions to it. So I'm delighted to always have that focus. Absolutely. Well, and when I saw your true beautiful measure also is when you would refer your clients from at MAP over to our inpatient hospice unit, where we got the privilege in the middle 90s, we took care of a lot of people living and dying with HIV and AIDS. And it was some of my most gratifying time in hospice is to take care of those mostly men because today we're talking about disenfranchised grief. So for anybody tuning in now, I've got my wonderful friend and colleague, Doug Jensen, who is a private practitioner here in Minneapolis. And today we're talking about disenfranchised grief, which really is grief that is not acknowledged by society as being quote unquote legitimate. And if you want to learn more about it, look up the author and therapist, Kenneth Doka, D-O-K-A. He is the grandfather of disenfranchised grief. But we, Doug and I saw a lot of that working with people with HIV and AIDS. And I think it became very important to me to really focus on that with people. Now, since that time, we've seen it a lot more. We've seen it, let's say, if a neighbor dies and somebody was very affected by it, society might disenfranchise that grief and say, well, that was, quote unquote, only your neighbor. Or if gay man dies and the partner is not acknowledged as, quote unquote, a legal or a legitimized partner, or people choose to leave a relationship and they're having a lot of grief about it, but because they chose to leave, they're not acknowledged as a legitimate griever. So it can go on and on. Today, Doug and I are hoping the message we get across to people is that if you feel the loss, it's legit, right? It's legitimate. Doug, you brought up your mom and I I know there's a lot of complicating factors in your relationship, but your mother recently just died. She did. What was her first name again? Norma. Norma. So Norma just recently died. And you and I've had a beautiful conversation about people's reactions to your grief. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so what's interesting is it's been a little bit like your comfort, if you will, and your relief of, of your mom dying has almost been disenfranchised. Can you talk a little bit about that? I certainly can, Kelly. It was interesting as you said that. I mean, you say that so simply, and that's really at the crux of the matter, what it is. To give a little background to your viewers and and the people listening, I think there's a part where, Kelly, the, the reality of my mother is that if I put it in a nutshell without going into a lot of the details that I, I know have caused you to drop your jaw sometimes when I tell you stories, but you know, my mother was a person who had mental illness. I believe she had uh, borderline personality disorder. And as a result of that, my childhood was very disruptive, inconsistent. There were times there were threats to run away. There were there was abuse. There was some borderline neglect related to food, etc. And so it was a very complicated relationship. And probably about 18 years ago, my mother had engaged in an abusive act with her second husband. She got married in a very complicated way. And I remember the day my middle sister called to have me uh, support my mother and provide some assistance in getting her out of that. 
And I was sitting in my car and I remember I said, no, I'm not helping anymore. And it was as if my brain, I wish I had electrodes all over my brain on that moment because something opened up and I became aware I'm not going to be codependent anymore in my family. I'm not going to take care of my mother at my expense anymore. I'm not going to do these things. So about that time, I started working with a therapist on my relationship and what that was with my mother and, and realizing kind of how it impacted my life and my relationships with people, which I have kind of some significant attachment dysfunction as a result of that. And I've had to really do a lot of work on that. So I worked with a therapist, did an amazing amount of grief work. Really, Kelly, one of the things that you know about this, because I've shared it with you, but I spent every week in my therapist's office crying and crying and crying. And I barely could say anything for the first year because there was so much profound and complicated and layered grief. You know, and as a gay man growing up in rural Minnesota, that was an additional compounded issue that I could not be myself growing up. We just had no models for that. I didn't even know what the hell gay was. So, I mean, I, not to age myself, but I will. But I, I will tell you, Kelly, that, you know, my mother, through a complicated series of events, was removed from her home due to a significant hoarding and safety issue, which resulted in a lot of cleanup for my two sisters and I, my older, who no longer talks to us, because I think, honestly, the ramifications and manifestations of a triangulating mother who was not always kind and consistent in her nurturing. But yes, my mother was put into an assisted living home and died very peacefully in November, at the end of November. And the interesting thing, I was talking to the hospice nurse. I was talking to my sister probably a minute before she died. Then I got another call like a minute later saying she had died. And I got out of bed and I played some gay disco music, which I'm apt to do in the morning to get myself motivated. And I started dancing around and I'm like, this is not a normal response, but it sure is for me. Absolutely. And Kelly, the word relief has come out of your mouth a number of times, and that's really what it was. I felt this incredible amount of relief, like I do not have to do what I needed to do to take care of my mother any longer. And the reality was I'd really gotten to a place where I could see her as someone who brought me into the world. I'm incredibly grateful mm -hmm. for my amazing life. I have two amazing kids. I have an amazing career. I have amazing friends such as yourself. So I'm very grateful for my life, but I'll tell you, Kelly, she was not a mother to me. So I didn't feel any sort of maternal connection. And I will tell you the funny thing about the whole process in some ways, talk about disenfranchisement, whether it's the funeral home or whether it's people that I've had to tell who are clients of mine or friends, there's an oftentimes a response of, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not feeling much of that. Well, and I think with disenfranchise, and when I look at your story, and I know we talked about this prior to recording. I'm sorry for the loss of the things you didn't get growing up. And I'm sorry for the heartache of that and the complications that a dysfunctional childhood can have, right? Kelly, what a beautiful, beautiful thing. Thank you for that. Well, and truly, Doug, because I, I know I've been in this field long enough. I've lived in this life long enough to know that one of the most judgmental experiences in this life can be grief and trauma. And it's it either comes from the self, like we're not doing this right. Like you said, oh my gosh, I got up and I put disco music on and I, well, one might look in that and go, wow, that's really cold and callous. His mother just died. Right. However, right. that's not the point, right? And one of the things I keep, like this podcast is titled See My Grief, meaning I want to see it all. I want to see it. And what I see with you is a form of grief, which is relief when people have lived in a traumatic, abusive, complicated relationship. I think one of the pieces, and I go back to that morning, and I remember thinking to myself, 
do I feel anything? And one of the things you and I both know about grief is that it might come up at weird times. Mm -hmm. There might be things that trigger us in weird ways. And I was trying to observe it. I was like, I know to do this. I know to like pay attention. Like, what are you feeling? What are you experiencing? And so I canceled all of my appointments that day that she died in the morning. And I went up to go remove everything from the room that she was in. My middle sister and I, who still maintain connection and communication, she had a friend come to do some support as well. And you know, the thing that I was struck by is I had some kind of flashbacks. I was remembering things from my childhood. But because Kelly, I spent years with my therapist grieving and talking and understanding how that affected me and crying and getting angry and getting rageful and getting, you know, all of the things that the combination of the childhood of not having an unconditionally loving and supportive and consistent caregiver, but really the other part about, you know, growing up gay in rural Minnesota, which is an additional loss peripherally affecting that process. I really would say, I really had to consider like, do I feel anything about this? And I did my work. The bottom line was I had done my work. I had actually been able, while my mother was still cognitively and physically present, I was able to let her know what my experience was. My mother just by chance was at my house one day and out of the blue kind of said, was I really that bad of mother? And I think it was in response to my older sister not talking to her anymore. And I said, yeah, you were. Mm -hmm. You probably should have never been a mother. And I remember saying it out loud and I just stared. I was like, oh, I just, I just gave her back this ball of muck and mud and you know dirtiness that that represented my childhood and it was so good to say but i also realized that my mother was not going to be able to take it in and process it and do anything other than just kind of stare at me so and that was all that was needed but i'll tell you the the beauty of being able to say that gave me freedom to have a boundary from that day forward Well, and I'm sitting here going, oh, that grief of, and I don't know that people would acknowledge this for you, but as as we're talking about these griefs that don't get acknowledged today, yeah. Yeah. you having this conversation with your mom, wouldn't that have been such a beautiful opportunity for her to apologize or her to say something, but because of her own illness, right? Could not. But right there, you said it with no expectations. Like I know you didn't have expectations from her that she would apologize. I did not. But it was another it was another loss. Well, and Kelly, I had done enough work at that point to understand I was not going to get a response based on what you and I know about personality disorders in that cluster. You know, it's very unlikely that a narcissist or a borderline person is going to really be able to say something that is about somebody else or be able to really empathize or have that ability to look outside of themselves and own that. I think what the other piece, Kelly, that's really come up for me about this is that I have a lot of compassion that I don't think my mom got to live the life that she was meant to live. Mm -hmm. She grew up at a time when women got married, had kids, were homemakers, all that sort of thing. And honestly, as I've said to many people, I don't think my mom would have chosen to be a mom. I'm I'm glad she did. I'm glad I'm alive. I'm glad for the legacy, but thank you, my dear. But I, I really think there's a piece of this that I'm sad for her that I don't think she felt comfortable being who she was in this world. What an interesting dichotomy it is to have with another human, right? Yeah. And it does, I think, because in the society, we're taught what a family is, right? I mean, even though we know there's plenty of family diversions, there's chosen family, there's family of origin, there's whatever. I know that well. Yep. We, yes, I know you do. And you, actually, you're the one that taught me that first out of the gate. But to have compassion for somebody that has hurt you 
over and over again and to have a sense of understanding in a way uh, for somebody and to understand that your mom probably lived a life that was assigned to her versus one that she would have liked to. I mean, it's, it's kind of, and there's, you know, what's so interesting about grief work is there's this anticipatory phase. So when somebody's still alive, we're doing all of this, but there is still room to do grief work after somebody has died in terms of complicated relationships. Thank goodness you're not starting from square one now. Yeah. You know, Kelly, I'm not only not starting from square one, but one of the things, and I've shared this with you, one of the things that was so bizarre to me was that I had to go through the process of a memorial and cremation yes. and working with a funeral home and having people come who were neighbors in my hometown. You know, I, I don't generally go back to my hometown very often. And so it's been like 20 years. So I remember wow. going there being like, all right, so who's going to show up? Yes. Who will not recognize me and I won't recognize them? And so there was this weird kind of process. I remember uh, someone was coming down the aisle and I looked at her and she looked at me and I'm like, I finally walked up and I said, I know I'm probably supposed to know you. Who are you? Oh. Uh, because, you know, we look different 20 years later, 30 years later. Sure enough, it's one of my best friend's aunts who was friends with my sister. So the thing that I was struck by, though, is as the funeral director was trying to be all warm and compassionate as funeral directors are and being all very, uh, very soft. <laughs> I'm sorry for your loss. I was like, yeah, ready to move on. Let's <laughs> I know, Doug. This. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember feeling like, I'm sure he's looking at me like, who the hell is this all guy right. who's like, can we just sign the papers, get the urn and move out? You know, and Kelly, as, as I've joked with you about, like, even with the floral arrangement, I, I gave them all to my nieces and nephews, kids who were just running around the whole day having some fun. But I remember just take a, take a flower out of here. And, you know, the funeral director was trying to intervene with me like, this is tough, I know, to get rid of the flowers. No, it's not. And I have thought many times, Kelly, am I in denial? Is there something I'm blocking? No. Yeah, I really am. I, no. I am not doing that. This is no. like such work that I've done on this. Thank you so much to my therapist for helping me through that. And to understand, by the way, the choices that I make relationally that look very similar to that abusive, neglectful, unavailable person, you know, consistently unattached, uh, anxious attached relationships that I would engage in that they mirrored that in an effort to resolve that. It's interesting because I, as we're talking, it's like, well, this is actually really turning into complicated grief conversation, which disenfranchisement is part of that. This is reminding me of a talk that I did at a funeral home and it was standing room only. And people were talking about the traumatic losses and asking me questions and crying. And this brave, beautiful woman stood up and she said, can you, can you address when you didn't like the person that died? And they were very mean. Can you talk about that? She said, I'm envious of all the people in the room that are having this sad reaction because they felt so much love and connection to the person that died. This person that died in her life was very close to her on paper, you would look and go, oh my gosh. But she said, I didn't like him and I'm glad he's dead. And I thought that took such courage to stand up and ask that. What I said to her is, you still get your grief. It just isn't going to look like what society thinks it should look like. But you're mourning and you're sad for this relationship you never got to have with this person or that you deserve to have, or you didn't get to have. And she said, and I'm dealing with, as you're saying, Doug, all the pressure from society that I'm supposed to be feeling this way. I should be feeling this way. And I don't feel this way. So she said, I have spent the first three months of my bereavement 
questioning if this is legit and there's something wrong with me. Well, of course. Right. Of course. Yeah. And it's so complicated. Absolutely. And, you know, Kelly, one of the things you're really, really highlighting is that we have, as a culture, a really difficult time just simply talking about feelings. And as we just joked about having a two-hour conversation, we couldn't record the because we had to catch up and we talk, talk, talk. We are therapists that deal with this every day in our lives. Every workday of our lives is spent talking and talking and talking with people about their feelings and encouraging that expression in an adaptive way or whatever way it comes out. The thing that I'm struck by is I think after all of these years of doing this work, I don't think you and I stop doing that. I don't think there's a time in our life or a place in our life where we're not a therapist. I had somebody ask me a long time ago, do you ever shut it off? No, I don't. So if you're with me, of course, I'm like assessing, you okay? (laughs) My friends are very used to me, by the way. Like if I think there's something wrong, I'm like, all right, what's up? Right? I know, you know right. because it's really easy to see. But Kelly, talking about grief and disenfranchised grief, we not only think that there should be a process that people go through, and I think even the anger phase, uh, if we want to call it that, or feelings that might be uncomfortable in that way, I think people have a hard time expressing it in general. And I think when they see, you know, how many people, you know, when they found out my mom died, were like, I'm sorry for your loss. And I'm like, eh, it's okay. And I, you know, it's just a weird interaction because I don't have. I didn't need anything, actually. I felt relief. I felt closure. I felt all of the things. But I think based on that general experience of people having a hard time talking about it, people also don't know how to talk to people like me after I say, I'm good. That's exactly, that's, I'm just sitting here thinking, wouldn't it be amazing if we lived in a society where somebody said somebody died and they followed up with the question of, how is that for you? You know, because I mean, there are, you and I know this as therapists, there are a lot more stories out there like yours. There sure are. Where people were abandoned by their parents or, you know, abused by their siblings or whatever that may be, that we have these normatives that we assign to people in grief. You get this long to do it. You can't do it longer than that. It's too much. It's too little. It's not enough. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you crying? And I want people just to pause and go, however I'm feeling about this loss is okay. And I get to have this. And you're having your own experience of grief around your mom, Doug. It's not as if you're not grieving, okay? Correct. I agree. It's just not the grief that's on, as we talk at the greeting card line. It's not in the cards. It's not not there. There's a lot missing in those. Right. And uh, yes. And so when people say, I'm sorry for your loss, maybe from now on, in your mind, you go, right, of what I never got. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's ultimately what it is. Because I, I've worked with lots of people in the field of grief and loss that want to have the sadness. Like that's a grief in and of itself, that they don't have this quote unquote normal grief reaction. And not, that's not even a word I use, but this expected grief reaction they envy that. They look at their friends whose mothers have died and they're, they can barely, you know, and they're so sad. Their sadness is different. Their sadness comes from the estrangement or the abandonment or the years of abuse or embarrassment, absolute embarrassment. And so you are having your own grief reaction. You are. It's, it maybe would be disenfranchised in society, quote unquote. Well, and the other piece about this, Kelly, that falls both into, I think, complicated and disenfranchised grief, and I'm, I'm going to speak of not only personally in my own experience of needing to help my mother find a facility that was right for her and make decisions on her behalf as power of attorney, which happened shortly after she was removed from her home. 
I remember there are so many people in the same circumstance where you're expected to care for and provide decisions for someone that you don't necessarily have that loving relationship with, right? I remember going to the attorney with my two sisters to get the powers of attorney and the legal matters taken care of on behalf of my mother. And I remember just looking at the attorney and I said, I'm just going to clarify here. This is not an emotional thing for me. My mother is not maternal to me. My mother is somebody that I am now responsible to care for. And so I'm looking to get this done in a practical way. And he he was pretty amazing. Like in the small town of Cold Spring, he was pretty amazing. He said, damn you have done your work. And I started laughing. I'm like, that's so funny. Um, and he's like, I can't wait for this conversation because it's refreshing, Kelly, yes. when people can be honest about what's going on. There's no beating around the bush. And these shoulds about what we should experience during those occasions. I know the funeral director just kept looking at me like, okay, I'm not going to get you to emote. I'm like, I've got nothing to give you. This is not about you. I'm not going to make your job. You got someone to cry today. Uh, it just wasn't going to happen. So I think, Kelly, there's so much about that, but that's another complication, right? When you have to provide care or make decisions or help people out. And are you, when you look back on it, are you glad you did it? Oh, I'm incredibly glad I did it. I remember, Kelly, and part of it is our training, right? So I kind of knew what I needed to do. I knew the way to get my mother in a facility. I knew insurance issues. I knew how to talk to people. I knew how to talk to physicians, like even the, the palliative care physician who, after my mother was hospitalized about a week before she died, he suggested palliative care. And I said, okay, we can skip a lot of this. I said, I've worked in HIV all of my life. And I said, so all of my professional life. And funny enough, our paths had crossed at some point. He was actually down here in the cities. You probably know who this is. But you know, the, the, so the crazy thing was that, like, we can skip all of that. I know those pieces of it, which is really helpful as well. But I love that, you know, and he was trying to be kind to somebody or thoughtful to somebody who he didn't know knew anything about palliative care. Of course. Well, and I, I think I, this is just, it's gone fast conversation, obviously. But, <laughs> and I think there's more to have of it. If you could sum up what you've been trying to say in like a minute, and then I want to ask you another question after that. When, if somebody's tuning in and they're just, they're lost, they're struggling there and you, you come on and you're basically giving us permission to just be how we are regardless. And that not all of our relationships are going to be worthy of our energy or look like society thinks they should look. And that's, that is a sadness. So when I, if I were to say to you, I'm sorry for your loss, I would fill it in with, I'm sorry for your losses Doug, that you experienced as such a little boy in a situation that you had no control over and that I'm sorry that things didn't change. Even the many times you tried to intervene on your mother's behalf. And I'm sorry for the loss of a childhood in, in many, many ways in the innocence of that. And that's, that's what I would say to you. And I, I don't know how that resonates Oh, it resonates entirely, Kelly. And you know, part of it is you and I know each other well after all of this time in our lives, sharing our personal and professional stories and being amazingly supportive colleagues to each other. I'm so grateful for you mm, and all dog. of the work that you're doing around grief for all of those people listening to your podcast, going to your workshops. You are a gem and a beauty in this world. I did not ask him to say that. <laughs> I actually got my Venmo, so I appreciate Kelly, you know, I always, whenever people ask me, and because this kind of goes back to like what therapy is about, and whenever people ask me what it's about, I, I always tell people it's about living an honest life.
That's a simple way of saying what we need to do in order to get to the other side of whatever is complicating our life. And related to grief specifically, so when you ask me to summarize, it's really just be honest about what you're experiencing and make sure that you surround yourself, whether it's professionally or personally, with people who support you, regard you, have your back. I am incredibly grateful for all of you who are in my really chosen inner circle who I know I can call at any time regarding anything. And I think that's part of getting through this process. I also, I've referenced my therapy that I did around this. He was so compassionate and so patient and so kind with every time I came in just bawling my eyes out. So I I realized in retrospect, that was just about needing to grieve and grieve and grieve what I was never able to do because it was never acknowledged, which is exactly what disenfranchised grief is. Isn't that amazing? It is. It is. I mean, isn't that amazing that you've, that you have, because grief does need space. It sure does. It needs space and it needs people to hold the space, but it needs a lot of space. And it, your therapist gave you that space. And sometimes we're scared by these emotions that come up, you know, we're confused. Why are we crying about this? I don't really even like this person. Again, my philosophy is always just allow it and be with it and hold the space for it, not judging it. And I'm so proud of you that you're not trying to be something in this experience. I still honor you as somebody who grieves. Okay. And I, I just want to be very clear about that today because I think what society does in terms of disenfranchisement is that if people aren't grieving in the way we think they should be grieving, then therefore they're not grieving. No, that's not true. Your grief looks and maybe feels different on the inside, but at the end of the day, it's all because of a loss. And it's because of the loss of this mother figure. And it's complicated beyond complicated, right? Kelly, you and I could talk for hours and hours and hours about this. Because I want to say one more thing in response to what you just said. One of the pieces that I now don't think about very much is that my kids did not have a grandmother who was nurturing, cookie making, gift giving. My mother barely knew their names, I swear. And it was just really an interesting sort of like, there's like this loss of family heritage and legacy and and whatnot. It starts with me. I've always told both of my kids, like it starts with us. We are changing this now. We are creating a new paradigm of the Jensen family and and what it looks like. And I'm so proud to be able to do that, but it was really, really tough. You know, and as my kids kind of went through their own process of deciding college and careers and where they were going to live. I think the reality for me, Kelly, is I've told both of them, go, go as far as you can, do whatever you want in this life. You have my support on all levels because I don't want them to be stuck in this quagmire of mental illness that has represented what I grew up Yes, with. Doug. Oh, I don't want this to end, but I know we have to wrap this up. But um, Well, I've got time. I know you need to wrap up. <laughs> I know, but, unf- I, but this has been so beautiful. And what it is, it's the beginning of a conversation, I think, for many people as they're listening. I, I'm hoping, because people, again, the See My Grief came from, there's so many different griefs that are not seen and validated in this society. Many. And I agree. we have this kind of joke in this community about if it starts with at least it's never going to be good, right? So like if someone were to say to you, well, at least you had a mother that was living in your house. Well, at least your mother, you know, that it's like, no, we never want to diminish somebody else's experience with the word at least. And so I just really want to acknowledge and thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing because I know, I know your clients will listen and I, and I know that it can sometimes be hard for therapists to open up, but I think it's important also for 
our clients to know we have human experiences. We come from human experiences. We come from our own traumas. We come from our own stories. But you're, you are a legitimate griever, Doug, and you have a right to have all of your own feelings around your mother's life and your mother's death. But you're right. I mean, as a parent to not share grandparenting or to not have a grandparent spoil your kids and, and come to their hockey games and, and all those things is a huge loss, especially when it's grandparents night. And there's all these grandparents sitting there and there's all these, you know, it's just, it's a huge loss. So for everybody listening, however big or small you think your loss is, it's the hardest because it's happening to you. And as Doug was saying, he has found his people in his circle that aren't going to assume to you the roles you should, quote unquote, be feeling right now that are going to just hold this for you. And go, wow, it really, I mean, I'm just so honored to know the story. And I even learned more before we came on today that you've been spending the majority of your life grieving for your mother. It didn't start back in November. You have spent the majority of your life grieving for your mother. And your grief relationship now has changed because she's actually died, right? So that's a whole, that's a whole another podcast. It has changed and a whole nother podcast as well, Kelly. And it's been referenced multiple times in this particular podcast episode. The reality is that the manifestations and the ramifications of that sort of experience for people determines how they parent, how they manage their lifestyle, how they do everything they can, which was my case. I did everything I can to go as far away from that as I could, which meant I overcompensated in so many different ways. And I could go on and on and on. My kids would laugh at all the ways. I may have. That's exactly right. (laughs) You know, there's so much more to this story. It starts with grieving and it starts with acknowledging that But then the other work about this is to figure out, so what does this mean to your life? Oh, that's beautiful. What a beautiful way to end. So we could go on and on. Doug, Such a privilege. I'm so grateful. Like I truly am truly grateful. And I, I have compassion. I have a lot of compassion for your story and what you didn't get. And I have so much, and I'm so in awe of what you have developed because I do think it's amazing when we're not parented how we end up being good parents. I mean, that is just such a phenomenon that I think is heroic in so many ways to me when I look at people. And I want to thank you and I want to wish you the best. I will put in my show notes for everybody listening, a link to Doug and Talia's and Greg's podcast titled We're Not Fine. And they have like an episode every week. They're like the rock stars of podcasting. So please tune in and there's actually going to be possibly some future workshops and different seminars for couples. And so please be watching Doug's work. But Doug, we are forever grateful. You can follow We're Not Fine on Instagram. And um, again, I'll have that link in there. But for everybody that joined today, thank you. May your grief be exactly what you need it to be. May the space that is held for you be soft. And may you know that as always, we do see your grief. And Doug, Thank you so much. Thank you, Kelly. It was a pleasure being here. I am grateful for you. Thank you for listening to the See My Grief podcast. It is my hope that this episode resonated for you on some level and that you feel less alone 
more hopeful, and gained insight. These episodes are not to be seen as a substitute for medical attention or psychological treatment. Please see your licensed providers for individual needs. Thank you so much for sharing and subscribing to this podcast so that we can continue to grow our sacred community. I will talk with you next time, friends, and please know this, I see your grief.